0: Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dabuti podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Durante. I'd like to open by thanking listeners for dedicating time to this new podcast series, and especially those who've sent me messages of support and appreciation so far. I'm not really marketing the podcast in any serious way beyond my personal social media. So it's certainly surprising to learn that we have around 50 unique listeners, the majority from Gibraltar, who've tuned in on various platforms. It's just a reminder that we're currently on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. This week I'm taking a break from interviews to give you one of these short philosophical reflections. I mean philosophical in the sense of working through a line of thought to see where it leads us, not in the standard sense of exploring the debates that have been the bread and butter of the great thinkers since ancient Greece, although there's bound to be some of that in future episodes. Although the tone is generally playful, there's an element of seriousness here too in today's episode, which looks at perfect romantic matches and the idea of a soulmate. So join me in the following experiment. Let's assume that there is such a thing as a soulmate, or if you prefer not to mention souls, a perfect match for you, romantically speaking. That is, let's assume that there exists one person who entirely fulfills your every physical and emotional need that sounds a bit selfish at the moment, so let's add the rule that this supposed soulmate or perfect match can only merit that title if you also fulfil their needs. You mirror and fit each other perfectly. Now that sounds like it makes sense. There's nothing to my mind initially puzzling or contradictory about the notion that there is such a person out there. Now many people do talk, loosely or otherwise, in ways that lead you to think that they're currently in a relationship with such a person, or that they once dated such an idealised being. If the argument I present in the next few minutes is correct, this can only be a form of sentimental nonsense. We would start by considering the probability that despite your limited experience, you've just managed to stumble across your ideal partner. Of course you haven't. Let's take the case of Gibraltar. Let's build in some perfectly reasonable assumptions. Where are you likely to have met your partner? In school, at work, out and about socially in bars, via mutual friends. Let's say this wide social circle numbers a few hundred individuals, maybe even a thousand, at a most liberal estimate. Are we meant to believe that through tremendous luck, your soulmate was lurking there, just waiting to be found, and you're just there waiting to receive them? You can even look beyond Gibraltar. Maybe you went to study in a university in the UK. But even that's limiting. You probably only interacted with people in your course and halls of residence. How many people did you speak to for more than an hour during a three-year degree? A hundred? Maybe less? Social media doesn't help either. It might just increase the number of potential partners by a few hundred. There are currently 7.8 billion people on the planet. Fair enough. This would be reduced once you factor in sexual preference, age group, etc., But even if you said, OK, I know my perfect match is a woman aged 30 to 40 with brown hair. Do you know how many millions fit this criterion? The point I'm coming to is this. A moment's thought will show that the sample of potential partners we've been exposed to is tiny. We've probably only meaningfully related to a few hundred people in our lives, and we've chosen our partner from among this set. And the same goes for our partner. And then your mind starts spinning. Assuming that the idea of a perfect match makes sense, where might this person be? What if one's perfect match is a Mongolian farmer, a bartender in Buenos Aires, a Maasai warrior? Imagine that you're sat at home, in your cosy sitting room, in Monsgalpemuse or whatever, with your husband or wife, and all the time the partner partner of your dreams is a vodka-guzzling cleaning lady in Ukraine. It's possible. We can't rule it out. But why limit our thought experiment to possible, unknown, perfect matches who are distant from us in space? We could have missed our ideal match because of the progress of history. Your husband, beyond compare, is a medieval locksmith with a thick beard, living in York. Your wondrous wife is an olive-skinned woman living in second-century Rome. Our partners have been limited, therefore, by where and when we've been born. Let's push it even further. Maybe your soulmate hasn't been born yet. Is she a future inhabitant of a still-to-be-founded country in the year 2080? Let's push on. Is she even human? Might one's perfect match, fulfilling mutually held needs for emotional and physical connection, be an alien? The mind boggles. Maybe one's ideal partner isn't even a living being. One could fall desperately and irremediably in love with Hal, the fictional artificial intelligence character, in Arthur C. Clarke's Space Odyssey series, or the virtual assistant in Her, the American science fiction film directed by Spike Jones. Physical needs? Well, use your imagination. So when you follow these steps, it seems that we have selected our partners from a really tiny and insignificant sample of possible partners. These possible partners stretch across the globe, backwards and forwards in time, and even across species boundaries into the realms of science fiction. What's the point of these reflections? One problem they might highlight is that the idea of a unique, ideal, a unique partner is mistaken. We all, after all, generally find romantic fulfilment, I think. Might it be the case that one's ideal partners are liberally scattered across a globe? The characteristics that we value might be multiply realised in numerous individuals, and many of us are sort of good at getting close to the perfect match after some time. That's one way to break the spell of the thought experiment. But if the notion of one ideal partner still has a strong hold on one, what happens then? Here's what I don't think one should do. You shouldn't think these thoughts and leave home in search of this person. That's a fool's errand. You shouldn't question either the nature of your current emotional attachments if these are otherwise healthy and strong. The idea that we're with an ideal or close to ideal person is probably a fiction, but a useful one as useful as other illusions that keep us afloat in this world. It's surprising, though, that such reflections, however compelling they are rationally, leave love untouched. They don't urge us to do anything, just sit back and amuse ourselves for a while. We could construct ever more fanciful or far-fetched examples than the ones I mentioned earlier. It would still be the case that we live as if it were true that perfect matches exist. It's one of the sustaining assumptions of our romantic lives, lives that are open and sensitive to facts and details, but also rushed and impulsive. We'd lose something of what it is to love if we approached romantic relations the way we assess which car to buy or which mortgage provider to opt for. And while my working through of all these missed opportunities across time and space was appealing to the calculating part of our nature, it didn't involve our emotions at all. So we embrace two things. If we're lucky, we give ourselves entirely to love, often several times in one's life, we can also look coldly at such events as fumblings in the vast dark, missing the mark each time. Let's introduce another new fun element. Imagine now, rather than just being an exercise of imagination, that you could meet your perfect match. Let's conjecture that a very advanced computer program has brought together the physical and emotional makeup of every past, present and future person and is able to make unique one-to-one matches. Think of it as an omniscient dating app that never fails. The question arises, if it's guaranteed that this app would match you with your soulmate, would you use such an app? I think most of us wouldn't. There'd be something inauthentic or forced about it. We seem to enjoy the hit and miss of romantic life. Handing over these choices to a computer would sap something vital from the whole enterprise, it seems. This drive for perfection and certainty, another myth we cling to, would render us less human by eliminating our vulnerability to error, We're all grappling about, blind, helpless. And there's something glorious about this. I think these thoughts should induce some realism and humility into how we view our current romantic situation. But more deeply, an acknowledgement that human life is profoundly contingent. Who you are today is a result of tiny chance events. The job you took, the person you messaged, the person you didn't message. Things could have easily been otherwise. This should liberate us. At a most basic level, it should fuel our sense of freedom and possibility. It gives lived experience a rich texture, a texture that sort of makes you glad to be alive now, with all its bafflement and wonder. Thanks for joining me. Keep listening.